Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, welcome back. It's good to be back. Uh, it's October has been kind of crazy, so we're uh, we're back at it, back behind the mic. Yeah, and we, you know we we decided we're going to watch something kind of spooky and horror related. It, it doesn't have to be October for us to talk about this stuff. So tonight on this show, we're talking about the 1992 uh, cult classic, I guess, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I had never seen this movie. Actually, my entire interaction with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I've never even watched the TV show, but um, I grew up with um, Joss's brother, Joss Whedon's brother, Sam, um, was a local musician and played with my dad and played with like some of my friend's dads. So I just knew Sam. And one day he had a Buffy the Vampire Slayer jacket. I'm like, where'd you get that? He's like, oh, my brother made it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my only other like frame of reference for this movie is, do you remember when grocery stores had little video stores or like racks of videos? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I remember this being on the the rack and it was just like a little three kind of tiered rack near the snacks and the Brock's Pick-A-Mix. Did you have those? No. Oh, I think. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. You put in a quarter and you got to pick three. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Those were great. They were. <laughs> and like, I don't forever. think they, like, I think about it like randomly ever, every so often. Because they don't make like the fruit creams anymore, and I would give mm-hmm. anything to have one of those Ooh, yeah. or their royal uh, caramels. Oh my god, they were so good! Oh man, that takes come me back, back to this pick a mix. Yeah, but I remember seeing that and uh, Baby's Kids Baby's was on Kids. that rack as well, and I think Shakes the Clown. <laughs> I was just talking about Shakes the Clown with some friends this this morning. <laughs> just like. <laughs> How random is that? That's weird, yeah. Yeah. It's weird because I we just watched Shakes the Clown. I think it was on Tubi. Yeah. And now that I've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, now I just gotta find uh Baby's Kids and I've completed the like nineteen ninety-two price chopper movie rack. Oh Trifecta. yeah. That's like myself the... some Brock's orange slices. <laughs> Have yourself a, a Cinemax throwback night or something. Yeah, exactly. Like No, I was talking, because we had just done an episode on uh, Scrooged for Christmas Creeps last week. One of our classics. Yeah, and uh, I was trying to explain to Brad, I was trying to explain to Bradford who Bobcat Goldthwait was. (laughs) It's like, yeah, he's a comedian, and he wrote, he, you know, directed a a movie about a clown who gets framed by, framed for murder by Spongebob Squarepants, and he was like, what are you talking about? The other manicurist from Earth Girls Are Easy is his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Sure. (laughs) Uh, um, okay. <laughs> uh, no, go check out our, our uh, episode on Scrooge and the Christmas Creeps on Scrooge that just came out. They're both very good episodes. Yes, but our episode features uh, Joe and myself doing our best Bobcat Goldthwait. Doing episodes. some very good Bobcat impressions. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great episode. <laughs> it, it really is. One of, um, I think one of our best. Uh, so I guess for my part, my exposure to, to Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a lot like my exposure to the X-Files, where I've never seen the show, but I've seen this movie several times. 
And I, but I will say this, watching it for this was the first time I've ever seen it sober, which was an interesting experience. That choice. Yeah. Cause, cause I remember the last time I saw this movie, it was on a, a date with Nikki. It was early on when we were dating and like the local theater downtown, uh, which I'm, I'm currently now volunteering for was showing it for their Halloween nights. And like, I just took that opportunity to get rip shit drunk that night. <laughs> there were like five people there. I had a blast. Uh, um, but I didn't remember a lot about that watching it this time, so it's kind of like a, a kind of like I saw it for the first time. Uh, it's just <laughs> something I never got into. Uh, a lot of my friends, obviously, were Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans. Um, my friend Heather was super into it. Um, I just never got around to watching the show. Yeah, like it always seemed like a, a cool thing that I probably would like. I just never got around to it, like you. But uh, <laughs> now. I, I feel like that sail that ship has sailed and there's no reason. Yeah. I'm just like I I know I'm not gonna get to it. That's just like it's not gonna happen. I'm never gonna watch Charmed either. Like it's just I just know who I am. Right. Like there's only only so much, you know, mid two thousands teen soaps I can watch in a day. I could watch that. Or I could watch Red Shoe Diaries, which I've also never seen. <laughs> I've I've only seen it scrambled. It's on Tubi. Oh, of course it's on TV. Which is like bringing back a lot of memories. And I was just mentioning this on Blue Sky. Uh, the video store I worked at in 2005 uh, for a summer, the summer before I moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. And where they would just have like the porn parody next to the actual film. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think I've talked about this at least on other podcasts. Um, so it'd be like Gladiator, Gladiatrix, Pirates wow. of the Caribbean pirates and it's it's not good <laughs> i'm sure there was like muffy the vampire layer was probably in there as well oh yeah that's that's like a layup right there diaries on oh, TV. Yeah. like they will have that like right next to the red skeleton show and you're like sure these two things are the same two is a magical paradise <laughs> the, the alphabet is a wonderful thing <laughs> Tubi is the best streaming services. Hulu is going to raise their prices again. It's like, fuck you. I'll just watch Tubi. Okay. Is, Hulu is like completely Disney owned now. So that's freaking great. And Disney minus. <laughs> great. Love it. It's a terrible joke. And I'm mad that you laughed at it. I'm not ashamed. My earliest memory. This is another movie where I have like a really weird, like formative memory of, of watching it. But like. I'm almost ashamed to say what it is because <laughs> it's, on. it's one of those movies that I know my parents have rented, had rented at some point when I was very little and I just wandered into the room while they were watching it. But I have a very distinct memory of the scene being the scene early on in this film where <laughs> they're in the diner and Buffy cuts David Arquette's hot dog wiener in half. <laughs> I'm like for the longest time, that was all I knew about this movie. <laughs> Oh, if I'd go back to it after that. I I forgot, like, I knew Christy Swanson was in this, and she's a lunatic. Um, she's great in this, but she's you know, a loon. Um, right. But I didn't realize David Arquette was in this, and he is my fucking nemesis. <laughs> I just, I want nothing more in my life than to somehow, like, be in the same room with him and to just, like, throw an orange Julius on him like it's a very specific <laughs> fantasy like i want to see him while i'm i guess at the mall and throw an orange julius at him 
And you, you know exactly how he'll react to it. He'll just stand there and just be like, oh, man. And be like, fuck, I'm David Arquette. I'm a completely impotent little dweeb. <laughs> I was the one-time WCW world champion. What the fuck? Like, ooh, David Arquette. I just, I hate him. <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, fuck, this dude's in it. And then I must have missed the part where it mentioned that Luke Perry was in it. I'm like, that dude looks like Luke Perry. And then I'm like, that dude is Luke Perry. Yeah. For the longest time, that was all I knew. It was like, oh, this is the Luke Perry movie. Show Luke Perry. Yeah. I know. And I was like really happy to see him. And then I'm like, oh, he died and Christy Swanson didn't. Speaking of died, I completely forgot that Paul Rubens was in this, too. I was really excited, and I kind of thought that was why you picked it, like, continuing our, like, Pee-wee Festival. No, I, li- I literally just picked it because, like, like horror-adjacent. It was it's close to Halloween. Let's do it. <laughs> so we're already getting, like, hot and bothered and angry by uh, at this movie tonight. So <laughs> Vampire Slayer, which is a movie that I did not hate. I, I, I actually, like, enjoyed watching. I, I had a hard time with it at first until I got into the groove of it and realized, oh, they're doing a thing here with, like, the Valley Girl stuff. Like, it's supposed to be kind of grating because that's the point. But then once it settled into, like, the Vampire Slayer part, I thought, okay, I'm kind of into this, and it's fine. And I know a, a lot of people have different feelings about that because, like, you know, the Buffy fans out there are not Buffy movie fans. They're TV yeah. fans. And a lot of people, Joss Whedon included, really don't like this movie. It felt very, it was like a, a almost nostalgia, even though I didn't see it. Like, I think seeing the mall and the costumes and things like that, it made me think about, like, I would have watched this at a sleepover. Yeah, like, it's it has that time and place, like, so perfectly, like, etched into it and... There's just something kitschy and kind of cool about it where I think letting Joss turn it into a TV show and do his own thing with it kind of ruined the weird magic that the movie has. Yeah, well. And I feel feel weird saying all of this because, like, A, a lot of people love the show. A lot of people love him for some reason. And I don't know how to finish that sentence. I just want to say that I was on the Joss Whedon is a weird creep train long before anyone else was. That's not to shame anybody who got on it late, but I just want to acknowledge that I've always thought he was a weird creep with weird shit about women. And it doesn't necessarily show up in this movie, but once you start seeing that every single character is like a weird ingenue who can then do backflips and fight people and that's all it takes to be like a strong character is you're like oh okay he's got he's got weird ideas that women are only good if they can do backflips he he took the idea of like the strong female woman but he took it way too literally like they have no like real character except that they're like not like other girls I want to apologize for saying strong female women and not strong female characters. I'm sorry. Okay. Just tripped every words, but I don't know. I just, I always thought Joss Whedon like wasn't writing. He was writing the kind of strong female characters that men are like, no, she's a strong female character. Like, cause she's not wearing a bikini. Like what do you know? Any actual women? Have you no. ever talked to a woman? She's a strong female character because she knows her way around a knife, but she's fragile. It's just, like, I don't know. He's... Emotionally. Like, okay, yeah. we get it. 
yeah. shut up. Joss Whedon's a weird creep. There, I said it. Yeah, he, he is. And like, I, I was it's nice though. And that's Good fine. Musician. It's like we have to be careful about what we say because his brother might be listening. But <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, I, I was in in my high school and college days. I was I was on the Firefly train hard, and then I fell off super duper hard because I'm not I'm not a, a, a dumb idiot. <laughs> This movie though is they don't do any like weird like well now we're gonna kill a character at the third at like the like halfway or right at the end of the second act they don't randomly kill a character so that you're like oh my god shock um they don't do that here which is like wow way to go this is yeah the killings are not really random they're like oh that's exactly what had to happen right now like yeah and they're it's okay. like hmm, you actually wrote a decent screenplay. And a lot of that, I guess, can be chalked up to the fact that, like, they did, like, heavily rewrite this movie almost to the point where it's not really even a Joss Whedon movie at all. And to its benefit, for sure. Yeah. Like, Whedon, like, apparently Whedon, like, ran off the set because Donald Sutherland kept rewriting his own dialogue. (laughs) Like, that was the thing that tipped him over. My, like, autobiography. He'd just be like, no, I don't like that. And I'd be like, cool, Donald Sutherland, whatever you want to do. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we got a lot to cover tonight. Because we're, we're just rambling on about about Buffy, but we got some stuff to get to here. Yes, we do. Uh, hey, real quick, our last episode, you know, ages ago, was on uh, back to school, and the poll shook out exactly how you thought it would, uh, where we asked you what the best song on Back to School was, and it was "Dead Man's Party" by Oingo Boingo, because of course, uh, with two thirds of the vote. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the back, the official back to school theme song, back to school and uh, twist and shout and everybody's crazy all took, you know, 30 or 10 percent and 13 percent respectively. So Dead Man's Party obviously is the winner. I love Dead Man's Party, but you know that my heart is with um, back to school. Mm-hmm. Song bangs hard. You know, it, it's kind of hard to, to for me to let go of that crazy Michael Bolton song, though. I mean, that thing was bonkers. I have been thinking about that nonstop. Right. <laughs> but uh, as long as Twitter slash X will let us do polls, we will keep doing polls on Twitter at OST Party. So go join us over there and uh, talk to us. We're also going to be running stuff on Blue Sky from now on. We're on Blue Sky. So check us out at uh, OST Party on Blue Sky. All right. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer. First things first. Guess what? It's billboarding school. Heck Yeah. So the Buffy soundtrack came out on July 28th, 1992. Never actually charted. Not really a surprise. Because there was no hit on this one. No. There were, it wasn't like a lead single. There were a couple of singles, but none of them really hit. Um, so instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over some of the artists that are on the album and where their albums were on the charts that week. There's 10 songs on the album. Half of those artists were on the, hot one, or on the Billboard charts. So... Uh, at number 60 was Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears, which I think that's, depending on who you ask, that's like his last like good album. It's the last with um, with a couple of his longtime band members, which we'll talk about. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, it's a song with No More Tears on it. That's all I care about. Uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket's Fear was at number 114. And they're the only artist on this album that had a song on the Hot 100. All I Want. Which song? Oh, and that's that's their best song. 
Yeah, and that was at number 34. Although I've got a real soft spot for Way Away. I don't think I know that one. Uh, Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend was at number 129. Which surprises me that it's that high up because that album, <laughs> that's one of those albums. I played Girlfriend on Record Saturday and it was one of my most popular Record Saturdays. I mean, oh, like, wow. people love that album. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that album. It's just like every... Gen X male loves that album <laughs> to pieces. So I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, um, that he's back, back that far. The moving on, we got uh, Pantera's vulgar display of power at number 157. And finally CNC music factory at number 174 with going to make you sweat. So then moving on to the box office, uh, Buffy didn't make a whole lot of money. It made 16 million on a 7 million budget. So it did okay, but it wasn't like a big hit. And this was the same movie that um, when, we, when we talked about Encino Man, uh, there was that L.A. Times article I think we talked about where they were saying that, you know, the summer movie season was gear. They were gearing it more towards teenagers and they highlighted Buffy and Encino Man, <laughs> neither one of which really became big hits at all. <laughs> I'd like that VHS cult following. And they also share um, one other connection, which we'll get to shortly. And all, and once again, here's a case of a movie with like a horror vibe that got dumped into the heat of summer instead of coming out around Halloween, where it probably would have made good money. This keeps happening. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess they're they're kind of rectifying it now because Hocus Pocus is back in theaters for uh, the 30th anniversary. But you know, if if Disney had any balls whatsoever, they would have released it on the actual 30th anniversary in July. Yeah, that's fair. You know? <laughs> and then everybody would be like, why is Hocus Pocus out in July? The 30th anniversary, motherfucker. Yeah, you dumb dumbs. Um, I still, it's like, it's one of those movies I'm like, I could go see it in theaters, but I'm not going to. I was like, it was good when I was 10. Um, We've also been saying that about Nightmare Before Christmas, like, all month long. Like, we, we should go see that in theaters while it's here. Eh, we've got it at home. <laughs> I wanted, I was asking my uh, my husband to take me. Because it's not playing locally. It's you would have mm-hmm. to drive like an hour. And we just we haven't had the chance. And it's probably out of theaters now. But uh, Maybe. I was just like, oh, because I, I saw it in 3D. But I want to just see it plain. I don't like 3D movies. No, um, I don't blame you. So. I just picked just, up this season. I, the, the 4K Blu-ray that just came out is gorgeous. Oh, bad. So, like, that's that's the way to go. If you can, yeah. if you can manage that. Um. And speaking of 4K Blu-ray, another uh, OST Party classic is coming up on the 4K Blu-ray with the completely restored version. I'm talking about Super Mario Brothers. Oh, that's right. Hmm. <laughs> you sent me, or uh, one of us sent the other one that, but I ordered that so fast. <laughs> I know. I got I to gotta get a copy. Uh, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> we, we were at Disney World. I was st- we were standing in line for a roller coaster, and I'm like feverishly trying to order this on my phone before we get on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta place that, my order for that. Oh, yeah. Glad be- I like to think that we are the ones who brought the Super Mario Brothers movie back to the masses. I'm going to take credit for it. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's the truth. Maybe we'll do the same for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which also I'm very surprised is not on Tubi. Like I had to go to Amazon and pay for this like a commoner. <laughs> it wasn't available on Tubi with commercials for mattresses and LASIK. 
You know, that would have completed the experience. Oh, like, I feel like this is low budget, like, enough of, like, a weird cult movie that it should have been on Tubi for free. Yeah, yeah. Like, I should have been able to watch this and then Cool World. <sighs> if I know that Cuthbert Island is back on Tubi. Nice. Which my dad informed me of. Nice. I'm like, that is so sweet of you to think of me. And I'm going to watch <laughs> it again because I couldn't remember the name of the character that Maury Shaken played. Mm-hmm. And I got real mad at myself. And I had to look it up, and it's John Reed. Wow. So... Buffy the Vampire Slayer opens with a prologue that lasts, I'm not kidding, like 10 seconds. Yeah, and looks like a deleted scene from uh, Quest for the Delta Knights. It's not filmed. It, it's not really, like, historically accurate. It's very soundstage Since the dawn of man, the vampires have walked among us. Okay, we get it. Let's move on. <laughs> Low-key like gnarly yeah. um, and we just watched uh dracula for the first time like real dracula with bella lugosi oh, oh nice and i'm like oh fuck now i gotta worry about vampires walking among us like all the time like i don't have enough to worry about <laughs> <laughs> and they jump straight into the first song that we're going to cover tonight this is cnc music factories keep it coming yes because there is nothing more 90s than seeing white girls dance to hip-hop exactly let's skinny white girls with no butts let's go to a clip This is playing as uh, as we get an extended cheerleading sequence mm, over the opening credits. Yeah, yes, because strong female characters. Um, you know if if <laughs> if there's any character, if there's any women out there who can really be strong female characters, I mean, cheerleaders do a lot of hard work, <laughs> but they don't need to be so sexualized uh, as they are in this sequence. That's that's totally fair. It's extremely yes. male gaze, right? <laughs> no, cheerleaders are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they could take down weightlifters. It's just like, what? How do you do this? That's right. Um, but with the CNC Music Factory, I, I love this song. I'm into it. Yeah, I really do. Um, because they reference themselves, they reference the '90s, and we really, as a society, need to agree to bring back the funky jam. Yeah. And I, mean, I feel really, like, extremely white saying that. But there's just no other way to put it. Like, we have to bring back the funky jam. I mean, the song is basically, like, they rewrote Gonna Make You Sweat, kind of rearranged it, but it still sounds amazing. Well, that song is amazing, too. Yeah. And the, like, CNC Music Factory were such a brief but critical moment in 90s pop music, like, as house music was breaking into the mainstream. Yeah. And they're still on the tail end of that New Jack Swing era. Um, like club music is starting to make its way into radio play, mm-hmm. and uh, which is kind of wild. Um, it was one of those little '90s niches that gets forgotten about, like when we were all into Gregorian chants, or you know, again, pure moods and like world music, yeah, uh, Britpop, swing revival, industrial, all these like little tiny niches that when we talk about like this TikTok version of the nineties. We, you, you know, you forget that like swing revival lasted four whole years longer than grunge did. It's true. 
I hate to admit that, but you're right, and it's true. Uh, and... It lasted about, <laughs> you know, about eight years. Basically. So, oh, I'm... But then with, take... with, uh, with, with seeing some music Twitter. Fan. What? Take that, guys, on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Albini. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, um you kind of forget that like CNC music factory and this whole like kind of house music scene gets sanded down and commodified into jock jams like very quickly. Yes. But people also forget that CNC music factory had five hits. I didn't know they had two hits. What are you talking about? Going to make you sweat. Everybody dance now. Here we go. Let's rock and roll. Things that make you go. "Mm." Oh yeah. Just a touch of love and keep it coming was a hit. Right. I did forget about things that make you go. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe they were also on Jock Jams. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yes, and it was, as you said, commodified for, like, white guys. For, for like, yeah, white bodybuilders and, and, and kids who play basketball. Like, that's... I, I was one of them. I bought that cassette tape. I know. <laughs> it was to be played before, like, your small-town football game. Yeah. So. All the time. Um, we also, as these credits are rolling, we find out that as we said before, my nemesis David Arquette is in this. Hillary Swank is in this movie. Yeah, I, I, my my notes. Even Root. My notes literally say a wild Hillary Swank appeared. But yeah, Stephen Root is in this, and that blew my mind because, like, you I mean, I just finished like shotgunning the entire series of Barry, and like what Stephen Root goes through in that series is just like a nightmare, and he's the best. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't like a huge big budget movies so these were all actors that were just kind of starting out yeah luke perry as we talked about um you know who'd go on to have much bigger careers than buffy the vampire slayer except for except for luke perry well no i mean he that was me sorry. i'm not going to accept it sorry i'm um, sorry yeah because i mean he did he had a doll made after him right um, okay yeah. and buffy and buffy didn't of course yeah, um, except for, of course, Christy Swanson, who went nuts. True. Very true. Just flushed her whole career down the toilet. Yeah. Um, I, I One thing I do know about this is, like, part of the reason why this movie feels as wonky and odd as it does is because they had to, like, fast track. They had to, like, cram production into, like, a month because he was still doing Beverly Hills 90210. And he was the reason that they had to basically shove the entire production into one month. So, hey. Luke Perry's a st- Luke Perry was a star, and he's deeply missed. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, it should also be noted that like the part of the, a big part of the reason why the movie got made was because they managed to get Luke Perry to sign on to it. And it was one thing I had no idea about was that um, this movie was like bankrolled by Dolly Parton's production company. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Like they bought the script and they produced the movie. Like, so when you really think about like the long arc of like. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dolly Parton's kind of responsible for that. So I'm not going to hold that against her. Uh, well, she, no. She did what she thought was best. Um, and who am I to judge that? No. But also in the credits, there was a name that stood out to me. And that name is Ralph Saul. Okay. Who is the music supervisor. I'm like, where have I seen that name before? That same year, 1992, he was music supervisor for Encino Man. See? It all comes back around. That's amazing. Because as we're going to find out, the soundtrack isn't particularly noteworthy. It's no. it's good. But like Encino Man, it doesn't really have like a big hit that's going to come out of it. Um, he also, uh, in 1993, 
won a frankly deserved Razzie for Adam's Family Whoop. Oh my God. From Adam's Family Values. <laughs> Adam's I, Family Values is an otherwise perfect film. Yes, absolutely. But that song, good Lord, I forgot about is, that. Is really bad. That's amazing. So. Yeah, so, and we get the, a, a couple of these scenes, we get the entire song, and this is one of them. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they, I mean, the movie kind of sets itself up very quickly. Like, it set, it establishes us, we're in Southern California, and it calls it the Light Ages, L-I-T-E. As opposed to the Dark Ages. Uh, yes. We saw in the prologue. Um, and, you know, the vampires are are making themselves known in Southern California, and well, among them is the late great Paul Rubens. Yes, as uh, how do you pronounce his name? Am- Amelin uh, is his name. I think so. Am- oh, we're we're gonna call him Amelin. We're probably gonna just call him Paul Rubens. Yeah, but he's he's the the chief minion of uh, Lothos, played by Rutger Hauer, who is yes, I forgot just, Rutger Hauer was in that. Just fantastic, and another actor that we've lost. Uh, somewhat recently but um you know they're stalking you know southern california they're they're turning teenagers into vampires among them uh among them is uh benny played by david arquette because of course david arquette's a vampire (laughs) yeah and he's friends with uh luke perry's character uh pike pike the um, all the girls, you know, they're super ditzy. They're valley girls. They're talking through the movie. They're just, um, they're really just kind of rude and terrible to everyone around them. Yeah, I think, and I think it was, it was this point in the movie where I texted you and said, like, I'm five minutes into the movie, and I just wish everyone would shut the hell up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it takes a while, but it's weird because, like, I really, I liked, I thought Christy Swanson like really nailed it. They, yeah, and like, like, like re- I, but like more than the others, and. I think she, cause she just had like the look, like it was hard for me to buy Hillary Swank as a Valley girl, mm, kind but of. I, I bought Christy Swanson. Like she really had again, like this sort of round guileless face. Yeah. She, she really did. Like she committed to the bit as they say. She was, she was really good. But like uh, the, the longer it went, the more I kind of settled into it and realized like, okay, I, I get what they're doing here. They're making them as ditzy and like took, to name another movie clueless as possible yes. on purpose um, but donald sutherland is merrick yep um he knows what's up even though they call him a homeless when they see him at the mall oh he's a homeless yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh he you know, he singles buffy out as being uh the the next vampire slayer that he has to train to stop the vampires and they he takes her one night to a graveyard he tells her to skip her cheerleading practice to take her to a graveyard to show her the truth about vampires mm-hmm. and it's it's crazy how quickly this film moves yeah it sets things up like so like quickly but like, economically like, you get it like uh, amazingly like fast yeah because this is about 20 minutes into the film yeah and they, we are in the graveyard they waste no time yeah, and it it made me think about like, man, I miss. I don't even think this movie clocks in at ninety minutes. I think it's under ninety minutes, um, by a fraction. And yeah. the ninety minute movie is a lost art. It really is. You, the The debate over you know three and a half hour and four hour movies is going on right now. Like, I get it, but man, and I, I 
I want to defend movies just because like I like going to the movies. I'll be there for as long as it takes. But yeah, a good like 90 minute movie that can like make or break an afternoon. <laughs> yeah. A three hour movie that earns its runtime is one thing. It's, yeah. But a three hour movie that is 75% the same fucking CG shot over and over looking at you, Avatar. I'm, I can't be expected to live like this. Yeah. When your Marvel movies are, are pushing three hours and it's the same two characters saying shit that's kind of sounds like something Joss Whedon might have wrote. It's just it's just tiresome. I'm already very tired <laughs> just hearing those. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. And but, um, yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes in and uh, we're up to a song, too. Yeah. It's, this here's, I guess, one of a couple of covers that this album has it's it was the early 90s it was all. in fact the early 90s it's mary's danish with a cover of i fought the law go to a clip Now, this, of course, was originally recorded by the Crickets in 1958 uh, mm-hmm. when Sonny Curtis joined in place of Buddy Holly. Um, and Bobby Fuller also recorded a version. The Clash, of course, recorded the definitive version. Mm-hmm. The Clash um, recorded it. Green Day's recorded it. It's, 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 it's a song that like every punk band has to do a version of. Um, Dead Kennedys uh, rewrote mm-hmm. some of the lyrics. Um, I don't personally love this version and it's i think it's just a little too discordant for me but i love where it sits in its sort of firm 1992-ness we're edging up on what will be what will explode as the riot girl movement um simultaneously yeah. existing with the sort of lilith fair singer songwriter movement um you know tori amos is uh starting to rise in the scene uh natalie merchant uh, you know garbage whole all of these great bands but naked um and the garage rock revival would sort of ebb and flow through the 90s and into the early aughts and so it has everything that's kind of going on in the scene yeah at the time it would fit in perfectly on like the clerk soundtrack yes or um tank girl even better. Later. Even better, yeah. Um, but this, I mean, personally, I don't, I like, I could take a little bit of Riot Girl kind of stuff. It doesn't always sit great with me. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, this is one of those, like, not for me, but I would recommend other people listen to it. I'd be like, oh, you would probably really dig Mary Stanish. Yeah, like, I, I like this song. I don't love it. It's not my favorite on the album, but I appreciate it. It's kind of it's it's really neat when you sort of look at it in the context of everything else that's that has happened and is about to happen. Yeah. And as music landscapes shift. Right. Right. And I'll say for my part, I think I've said this on uh, Twitter or Blue Sky somewhere before. But the part in I Fought the Law when they say uh, robbing people with a six gun and then the snare hits six times. That's rock and roll's never been better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's my favorite thing in the world and every oh, every every version does it and every time i'm like <laughs> yes i <they> did it <laughs> it's the best yeah oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so 
at this point, Buffy kind of figures out what's going on. She realizes, like, oh, I'm going to have to fight, <laughs> fight and kill vampires. Because she does some, you know, karate moves and sort of gymnastics moves that she was doing before and stakes vampires through the heart. Yeah. And, and Merrick realizes, like, she's the one because, like, she knows, like, immediately what she has to do. Just stake them through the heart and that's it. And um, after this is when we just when we have this the, the scene that I always remember from this is when Benny goes and visits Pike after becoming a vampire and he's just like floating outside of his apartment window mm-hmm. and, and you can just see David Arquette hanging on strings <laughs> <laughs> and he's just floating there like what up man I'm a vampire now <laughs> he's just like or because he tries to say like no no I'm fine he's like you're floating outside my window right like, Pike and, just is not having any. He keeps Any trying, of it. yeah. He keeps trying to get Pike to let him in because, like, you know, vampires have to be invited in. And Pike's like, "No, you're floating outside my window." Oh, oh man. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, um, Buffy is at home dreaming of being with Lothos. This movie has, like, a, you know, it's got kind of these erotic elements as he's like pulling the ribbon from her hair, right? But it's not sexual. And it's not all that violent. It's somewhat bloodless. It, it keeps things pretty tame, yeah. Um, I, I wonder if that's more just like they know who they're gearing this movie towards and like teens don't, teens in 1992 don't want to see that kind of violence mm-hmm. or sex. I don't know. Oh, I don't, yeah. It's, I'm not sure why, except that like movies were, I guess, I don't want to say tamer back then, but they were. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people ha- are having that conversation today. Like, why do movies have to be so sexual? Why do movies have to be so violent? I, this movie is probably due for a, a, a reappraisal by those kind of people because, like, mm-hmm. they would be all about that. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, uh, yeah. I don't have time to weigh into that, but I got thoughts. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's not really for us to decide today. So, um, but her friend Cassandra, mm-hmm. I think that's her name. Yes. Is also a vampire. She gets gets kidnapped and taken to Lothos. Yes. And we get to see uh, Rucker Hauer in all of his power. Yeah. (laughs) Hauer power. I love that. Um, And of course, we get to see more of uh, of Paul Rubens. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just absolutely eats up this whole film. He, He knows exactly what he's here for. and He's having a good time. And of course, um, shortly after the filming, Paul Rubens would get himself in some trouble. I mean, he was set up, but and everybody knows it. But um, it's kind of neat to see him in a in a different role than Pee Wee. Yeah, like he's he's trying. This, this is the, also that period where he's trying to break away from Pee Wee. So he's doing anything he can to like move on with his life, basically. And and I kind of like it. Supposedly, he was wearing this wig uh, when he was arrested. Oh, so the wigs into the mugshot. Yep. Oh God, <laughs> that's that makes a weird kind of sense, but okay. I'm just trying trying to be in disguise, essentially. But um, Pee Wee was framed, and that's what we're gonna say about that. Yeah, that's it. Um, Re- refer back to our Pee Wee episode for more. In my notes here, I have that she's complaining either to herself or to her friends about, like, having to fight vampires. And she says, like, all I want to do is graduate high school, move to London, marry Christian Slater, and die. And I I, want to say, like, Cher and Clueless said the exact same thing, but I'm not sure. She definitely mentioned Christian Slater. Right. So, um, I don't think she... 
She, the, he was a heartthrob at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was but the like, heartthrob. Th- there's a, a weird connection that these two movies have with each other. Like, I, yeah. I feel like Clueless is taking a lot of notes from Buffy. It is. And I think um, I would like to see Cher, uh, Cher Horowitz Vampire Slayer. Oh, man. Yeah. If- there's our crossover. Um, I have a note here, and I have no idea the context of it, where it's a quote that says, this is a naked place. Oh, right, because Merrick, Merrick shows up in, in the locker room to talk to Buffy, and she's like, get out of here. This is a naked place. Okay. Yeah. I just wrote that line down and then didn't remember it. But there's also, um, if you look at like Joseph Campbell and the Power of Myth, this is where she's resisting the call. Right. She doesn't want to be the vampire slayer. So this movie actually follows that structure very well. It really does. Um, but eventually, you know, he talks her into, you know, training and becoming the best slayer that she can be. And we get a training montage set to. Heck yeah, we do. Set to guess who's back. The Divinals. Yes. With I ain't going to eat out my heart anymore. Let's go to a clip. It should not surprise you that this was originally written in hopes that a British artist would take it. I believe it. As hence the, the phrase, um, eat out. <laughs> right. Which, of course, has a different connotation in American slang. So this one was originally written by Pam Sawyer and Laurie Burton in 1965 and recorded by the Young Rascals. Their version did chart. Uh, and this mm-hmm. song, the Divinals cover, actually charted as well. Um, when they put it on their compilation, the collection, it peaked at number 19 on the Australian top 20. Oh, okay. Now you, you may or may not be surprised to learn. This is the song that got the, the official Buffy music video. That does not surprise me actually. Um, because this plays over the end credits as well. Um, right. Obviously with the training montage and because it's sort of, um, gory, cannibalistic, bloody yeah it fits yeah it fits pretty well sort of in a little like ironic touch um obviously uh we've talked about how much i love the divinals Mm -hmm. um this is probably my standout track this is also probably my favorite from the album as well (laughs) like we're not even gonna guess we're just gonna say it right now yeah (laughs) um i just i i love uh i just love everything about this Mm-hmm. Um, I went ahead, this was recorded by several other people, including Tiffany. I went ahead and listened to Tiffany's version, and it is silly as hell. <laughs> I'll it's bet. It's like a deeply silly Oh, song. wow. Um, but I've always loved the Divinals. They've mm. got just like um, new wave sensibility with a uh, kind of punk rock edge. Yeah. But like in a girly 60s kind of way. This is a really good, um, a really good placement for this song too, mm-hmm. and it's a fun training montage too. Um, you, you can kind of see where it's Christy Swanson doing the flips, and where it's it's obviously the stunt double doing the flips, but you know that's fine. It's it's fun. Wow! But we uh, we learn that Slayers there's a a much bigger vampire fight, mm-hmm. and we learn that uh, Slayers get cramps. Before uh, 
battle, which is, again, that feels like a very Joss Whedon touch because it's like weirdly too intimate and personal and never explained. Women have superpowers. Don't you get it? It's Mm. just like, okay. My superpower is the ability to hose down like uh, McDonald's chicken nuggets and French fries and watch a lot of Columbo. (laughs) That's my PMS superpower. Fair enough. Yeah. That's what I want. Um, apparently, if you uh, her other super, uh, she's also her superpowers are fueled by clearly Canadian, judging by the bottle she's holding. Uh, okay. Again, like there were such like little '90s nostalgic touches in this that obviously were not nostalgic when they put them in, but like it was like oh a mall, like a really big mall, and clearly Canadian. She's little, <laughs> these little touches. Yeah. Yeah. It just made me ache. It's a little time capsule right there. Yeah. So, but uh, Buffy and Merrick have kind of a heart to heart about their uh, their their mission and their place in the world. And Buffy talks about you know again what she you know what she wanted to be with her life. And Merrick Merrick says he wants to wanted to be a, a bootmaker, a cobbler, and Buffy wanted to, wants to be a buyer. Yep. She's like, I just want to buy things. Uh, and we we have those today. They're called personal shoppers. <laughs> She's thinking like a buyer for like a large store, like who would decide like what the like what is going to be the merchandise. Okay, I get, I get it. Yeah, like I, you know, go to all the shows and meet with all the um the designers and the pattern makers and everything, and just like okay, well, this is this is what we're going to carry in our stores. I got you. Okay, yeah. Well, the way the way she says it, it kind of sounds to me like she had heard of this job, but she doesn't entirely know what it is. <laughs> It was a much more, I guess, popular movie girl job. It's I've heard it used in other movies, but never in like real life. Right. Like I've never known anyone who was a buyer for like Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They must exist. Only in Los Angeles. I feel like they probably at this point probably have a different name, like merchandise consultant or something. Probably. But yeah, you it's a very very fantasy LA girl job that you hear in movies is being mm-hmm. a buyer or New York city too. Yeah. So Merrick wants to make boots and then Buffy wants to buy them for <laughs> whichever store she works for. Yeah. Well, she's going to have to buy, um, uh, Paul Rubens, a new jacket because, uh, Pike kills or he chops his arm off. Yeah. <laughs> And he responds with, kill him a lot. Ugh. Again, Paul Rubens just making a real meal out of this. <laughs> like, Joss, you can write it, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love that. Kill him a lot. Because that sounds like something he... Amelin seems almost like he wants to be more lofty than he is. He's trying real hard. Yeah. yeah and so, like, kill him a lot just has the, the way it's phrased is so majestic and also i feel like maybe paul rubens like added that because it's absurd it's it's very silly yeah it's very it's like almost childlike um but uh yeah so pike pike is saved by buffy and merrick and uh amelin is now a one-armed man unfortunately um the, the next the next day though during the big basketball game buffy uh, discovers that the captain of the, the captain of the team, Grueler, is is also a vampire, and she races out of the basketball game to, to chase him down. Because Did you also notice who's on the basketball team? It's Ben Affleck. 
Why? I, he was young actor in Hollywood because he's. Sure. I don't think he's credited. I don't think so. No, he's probably just like basketball player, but it's a young, handsome Ben Affleck. Very young Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> Buffy has to chase him down because she realizes he knows who she is, mm-hmm. and like that's uh, America. You know, tells her like that's the the cardinal sin is like you don't let him ever, don't ever let him know who you are. Yes. Um, so she steals a motorcycle. And heads into the parade float storage yard. I love this. <laughs> yes, it's this. super creepy. Um, it made me think of um, the old amusement park in Mystery Men, where oh, yeah. Tom Waits lives. Right. Or also, I think, probably where Tom Waits lives in real life. Yeah, just Tom Waits' house. <laughs> just an old amusement park or a parade float storage. Right. But uh, yeah, she follows Gruller to the, the the parade float park where they encounter Lothos, who, after a, a little bit of a fight, he he kills Merrick. Merrick, Merrick sacrifices himself to save Buffy. And Pike. And Pike. Because they're, they're starting to team up. Right. It's like Pike is, is kind of figuring out what's going on. Uh, but then later, uh, we're just going <laughs> to skip right over that. Merrick's dead. Sorry, guys. Uh, and uh, it wasn't... <laughs> I, I weirdly like wasn't expecting it, but then when it happened, I was like, all of this makes sense. Yep. Okay. Th- th- this had to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize the, the steps that this movie's taking again. Power of myth. Exactly. Exactly. This is like, the Obi-Wan character. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, this is where we kind of realize like where all this is heading because like Buffy's friends are helping plan like the big dance. Yeah, and uh, Hillary Swank's wearing a shirt covered in daisies, which again, the '90s nostalgia oh, is real. Very, very nice. And we we forgot very to delicious. mention here that like there's like a kind of a small running bit in the movie where Buffy and Hillary Swank are having a an argument over a yellow Dick Tracy jacket. <laughs> yes, because Buffy wanted it, and um, Hillary Swank said that was so. Kimberly, five, Kimberly said Kimberly it was. Said it was so yes. five minutes ago. And then shows up wearing it. I don't really want to uh, him and Holliver too much. Let's just go. Let's just get straight to the big dance. Well, I just noticed it's you know again as you see she's growing up, she's progressing, um, and this is illustrated in part by the fact that while all of her friends are still wearing cute mall clothes, she's wearing like flannel and combat boots because she's at shorts, like jean shorts, because she's like a tough girl now. Yeah, she's she she's getting stronger and she's a female character. Do you get yeah, it? Yeah, and it's I want it's like <laughs> normally you know I love like talking about costuming and symbolism. Oh, yeah. but this could not be more on the nose. It's it's extremely obvious, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's not a bit not a problem because like it, it gets the point across. Yes, but we're in the moment of darkness here where she's like, I can't do this. And Pike tells her, you're the chosen guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which I do think is very funny. But they find out that she's just going to go to the dance and have a good time. Um, there's a nice little moment where we see that Benny has been in the photo booth at the mall listening the whole time and his photos all come out blank. That's a, that's a good gag. A good touch. I like that. Um, but we've got another montage in here. This movie is like 90% montage. Pretty much. But this is the montage where they're all getting ready for the dance, right? Yeah. So as they're, we're seeing this contrast as Pike, uh, who still wants to fight, is sharpening stakes and Buffy is putting on her, uh, her dance dress. Mm-hmm. And what's playing is Silent City by Matthew Sweet. Right. Let's go to a clip. Oh, he's turning, he's 
Matthew Sweet, of course, um, as we talked about, uh, was having a moment with the release of Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of those artists that I was obsessed with when I first heard him because he's everything I love. He's sardonic jangle pop. He's a singer-songwriter. Um, but I do find myself like going like tragically long periods without listening to him. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Matthew Sweet. And then I'll listen to him obsessively for like a couple weeks. <laughs> um, so when I heard this one, I was really delighted because it like put me back on my Matthew Sweet track. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I actually, I really, this is like 100% everything I love about Matthew Sweet. And it kind of makes sense because Susanna Hoffs is on here too. And she's his bandmate for Ming T, who we talked about back on our Austin Powers episode, which also features the Divinals. <laughs> I, I, I did kind of like this one, but this is that, that strain of kind of, kind of like the early 90s jangle pop where I'm kind of, it kind of floats in one ear and out the other to me. Yeah, it's boy pop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, so this is the Hug the World dance, which which I love because like they're planning this early on and they're like, what's what's a problem that we need to be conscientious of? And I think it's Cassandra that says the ozone layer. And someone says, yeah, we need to get rid of that. Because we actually did heal the ozone layer. Yeah, that's the one thing we've actually been able to do. <laughs> Such a a crazy wonderful thing in the early 90s uh, because I remember having you know books about like things you can do to save the earth and it was like before recycling was mandated um you know when Big Macs still came in styrofoam containers yeah yeah um and but the hug the world the only thing it made me think of was there's in uh, the the critic episode L.A.J., where he writes Ghost Chasers, mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy suggests that he just needs a car chase, a rap song by Salt and Peppa, and a message of some sorts, you know, like, don't tinkle in the ocean. <laughs> so that hug the world, and I just like, don't tinkle in the ocean. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> this is something that L.A. teens can do. But this is where we find out that uh, Buffy's boyfriend, who we have not mentioned at this point, up to this point in the in the yeah he's show. just your typical jock he's a guy he's a guy that she's with but he broke up with her over an answering machine message that she apparently never heard <laughs> so he i can't believe that we've gone this far without making a teen wolf joke because we have vampire basketball if we had the vampires on the basketball team against teen wolf crossover potential <laughs> oh man the vampire school versus the werewolf school that's a rivalry I would love to be a part of. And we could have combined the Teen Wolf MTV show with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Teen Wolf Again, I, sh- I should be a Hollywood executive. You should. I'm nothing but good ideas. We should reboot Buffy just so we can cross it over with Teen Wolf. Exactly. Yeah. Just so we can have a scene where a werewolf basketball team plays against a vampire basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do what's known as a cameo, and Ben Affleck will be the coach. Perfect. I I love the running gag about the basketball coach being like an ineffectual dork. I know, just like I like I deserve the ball. He he's just like asking his players to like respect each other's feelings. And I also uh, love. Um, we haven't talked about Stephen Root as the principal. He's you know saying like I used to be a cool dude. I went to a Doobie Brothers concert once. <laughs> Just trying to be like hip with the teens, but also revealing sort of a dark past that is hinted at. <laughs> I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. 
So, um, you know, because the DJ wants to get the energy up at this dance, we have our old friends, the cult, uh, back from Cool World. Yeah. Uh, headed to Zap City. Let's, Let's go to a clip. kind of into this one but then i just realized i i like uh i like the lead singer of the cult i just like the way he kind of warbles words in and out the sort of heavy metal tracks was my favorite um yeah it does not get better from here folks (laughs) um it's not as good as she sells sanctuary which is their best song but it's better than the witch from cool world it's totally better than the witch yeah, I've got a soft spot for the witch, but mm-hmm. um, this was definitely more along the lines of uh, something like Wildflower. Um, right. So here's my question. Uh-huh. Who do you like better, the cult or my life with the Thrill Kill cult? I have a longer history with the cult, so I have to say the cult. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I got a little confused because I forgot that the cult was not on the crow soundtrack. It's my life with the thrill kill cult. Yeah. (laughs) It's on the crow because I knew they were both on cool world. And And I, I forgot that my life with the thrill kill cult was on the crow soundtrack. And it's a little bit misleading too, because the cult was like, is like never was never really like a metal band. They were a more kind of like a, an eighties new wave kind of rock band. Like a little, like with touches of that, like glam metal and a little bit goth. Yeah, exactly. So like at this point, they're kind of leaning harder into that, mm-hmm. but like there's, they're still kind of that. I, I want to say it's like a, they're like if John Bon Jovi was a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're definitely like extended shredding. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which I love. Yeah. So it's good energy for a dance. This is where yeah. vampires are about to attack. Exactly, and like like we said, this is the best of the three metal songs on the album, which I hate saying because like I love Ozzy and Pantera, but like mm, this is, this ain't it, Chief. No, it's not. <laughs> I'll I'll talk about them. I'll talk about them in a minute. Yes. <sighs> then Pike arrives at the dance. Look, it's super hot. Like, look, it's so Luke Perry. Get that leather jacket on. Yeah. Oh, so hot. And I don't remember. I remember 90210. I think I was a little young for it when mm-hmm. it came out, which is weird because, like, my sister Sean watched it and she's five years older than me, but it also had dolls. Yeah, I do remember which, seeing those. Like, were more for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had the Brenda doll because she was the brunette. And I was like, finally, a brunette Barbie. Um, they had cool clothes. She had shorts with suspenders and a tie. <laughs> White shirt and a tie and shorts with suspenders. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to look like when I grow up. Um, which, to be fair, I often do. <laughs> but I remember Luke Perry being on magazine covers. God, like, I didn't think he was hot then, but as an adult, I'm just like, God, Luke Perry was hot. He was hot on Oz. He's just like, that man was hot. I definitely remember, like, him being in the movie being the big deal. Because, like, as a kid... I remember seeing ads on Fox for this movie and being like, hey, 90210 guy is in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Come watch it. Yeah. So like a heartthrob. Yeah. That was definitely. Apparently also knew how to make balloon animals. Huh. How do you know that? I think I saw it somewhere that like somebody was saying that Luke Perry was on a plane with them and their kids were misbehaving and he came back from first class and made them each a balloon animal. Oh, that's adorable. I know. Like he was just like a good dude. Yeah. 
Just like, hey, you want a balloon? <laughs> Made balloon animals. <laughs> so, so Pike and Buffy finally dance and have a kiss, and it's the next song on our soundtrack, which is "Toad the Wet Sprocket" and "Little Heaven." Let's go to a clip. Still, I can feel but this soundtrack feels like it's empire records before empire records <laughs> it kind of does and i think like toad the wet sprocket brings it all together because this really is um as as we've sort of been hinting around it's one of those soundtracks that in itself isn't all that impressive no hit single but it's a solid collection of tunes and this song i think is really the apex of that where it's pleasant enough to listen to but there's not really a whole lot there right it's more impressive as a collection of artists than it is songs and it's just like all of the songs except for um i ain't gonna eat on my heart anymore feel like kind of b-sides or leftovers um this one this toad the wet sprocket song in particular is a little more like walk on the ocean than all i want which was on the charts at the time mm-hmm. and toad the wet sprocket has always been like if the gin blossoms music matched their lyrics it's just like <laughs> endless bummer city right because this... the gin blossoms rock hard yeah because this song made me want to just go to go to sleep this one yeah i liked it for like the first minute and a half and then it went on and on i'm just like oh it leached the calcium out of my bones it drones on so long and i'm like have they changed chords yet <sighs> and i don't like i know walk on the ocean was one of their big hits but i hate that song mm. it's just like it's literally like we show up at this place we look at the ocean and then we leave like the song i think takes place over about 45 minutes it's like that's a really terrible vacation guys good job and it made me wonder how can a band whose name is a monty python reference be so boring here's the answer 1992 they were men in 1992 and they just they were sensitive gentle men who just wanted to be about feelings because i feel like that name is wasted on that band it kind of is. They were like, when you look at all of those, like what were then like college rock bands, the Gin Blossoms are obviously like the king of those. Yeah, absolutely. Then Better Than Ezra. See, I, I always confuse Toad the Wet Sprocket with Better Than Ezra, but Better Than Ezra has better songs. Yeah, Better Than Ezra has Circle of Friends. Yeah. That song goes hard. I was listening to uh, Friction Baby this morning while browning uh, Chuck Roast for Beef Stew. <laughs> Like, I'm, like, sitting in my kitchen doing domestic shit. And I'm like, God, save the king of New Orleans. Like, just doing domestic woman shit. (laughs) Um, So I felt badass for a minute. Um, (laughs) Just, like, deeply 90s in my raccoon onesie cutting potatoes to put in the crock pot. Living your absolute best life. Just like hell yeah i love that this, this is what i'm doing this is what this is what 40 looks like drinking in <laughs> this is me now <laughs> <laughs> oh man this is just music for being fucking bummed too if i had my first dance and like 
Luke Perry in 1992 could have kissed me even if this song was playing. It's 1982, so I get it. Fair. This this lovely little scene is is cut short because the vampires crash the dance. Like a oh, it's <laughs> like nobody's ever had a school dance crash by vampires. Yeah, I mean, come on, this what are you talking about here? Like a rite of passage. Yeah, like if if your if your dance hasn't been crashed by vampires, was it really a dance? Prom scene of Rami Michelle's high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Plus vampires. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Christy Masters became a vampire, she would be unstoppable. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> one of the vampires like bum rushes the DJ, starts playing a bunch of metal shit because the vampires are here to fuck shit up. Yeah. And th- did you notice who the vampire DJ was? Did but I couldn't place it. It was Alexis Arquette. Amazing. Yeah. From the wedding scene. Amazed that they didn't play Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Anyway. <laughs> thirds of it yeah <laughs> instead the song that alexis puts on is party with the animals by ozzy osbourne let's go to a clip Now, this song would be great if, the, if it had any more lyrics than Party with the Animals. Because <laughs> that's all Ozzy says for like five minutes. But at the same time, it's just like, what are you going to say? They can't speak English. You're just all there to party. And isn't it really about how we can all party together? Yeah. Humans, animals. There's nothing better than partying with the animals. Don't tinkle in the ocean. Hug the earth. Right. <laughs> No, this song is dumb. This song is dumb. I'm it's, just joking. No, this song is dumb as hell. No, it's yeah, it, it, it's super dumb. Like, <laughs> if, it's it's the kind of high energy Ozzy song I would love if it had any more lyrics. I'm serious. Got like his big. He's like the metal version of musical theater. It's got his big '80s glam metal sound. Um, this was the last one that featured uh, drummer uh, Randy Castillo mm-hmm. and uh, Bob Daisley. Who was his bassist and co-songwriter. But um, this song was later included on the reissue of No More Tears. Aha. Uh-huh. So it didn't appear on the album originally. Well, that, that kind of maybe explains why this feels like such a weird throw-off song. Because like, I, in my mind, I remember that album being better than this song. <laughs> yeah, well, that one's got uh, Mama, I'm Coming Home. It's, yeah, it's got No More Tears, Mama, I'm Coming Home. And Hellraiser, which we've talked about before. Also, <laughs> speaking of Ozzy, you know he's on TV now again. Uh, doing what? He, his son has roped Ozzy and Sharon into doing like ghost and alien investigation videos and show. Oh. And I, it's elder abuse. I, I've seen some of these episodes, and I'm just like, you can you can see that Ozzy would rather be anywhere else. God. And it's kind of sad because like oh. Jack is just trying to be on TV, and Ozzy does not care. <laughs> Um, I forgot about Jack. Can we do a wellness check on Ozzy Osbourne, please? Please, somebody help him. <laughs> I don't know. But again, like this, this soundtrack lands at a really interesting intersection of all of these cultures coming together, like hair metal, like yeah. winding down, um, some like hard rock rising back up as we're about to see. Um, you know, mm-hmm. 
female singer songwriter, sensitive male songwriter, house music. Like it's all coming together. Yeah, like like the only genre that this album doesn't cover is country. And I'm honestly, I'm just gonna say, kind of thank God for that. Like they could have, and you would have been like, "Sure, why not?" Yeah, it would have been. It would have been like perfectly at home. Let's do it. I mean, I didn't cover this in billboarding school. I mean, when this album came out, it was the era of Billy Ray Cyrus. So you know, Uh, dark times. Exactly. Woof. We've talked enough about that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Buffy points out like the vampires can't come in if they're not invited, and then um, Hillary Swank says, "No, I invited them. They're seniors." Being a vampire means you get cool goth clothes. So. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> they all show up in like the, the latex and the platforms. Mm-hmm. Looking iconic. I also like that uh, Amelin says, hi, how's it going? <laughs> he attacks her. Yeah, he's just here to have <laughs> a good like, time. Like, like, Ruben's just absolutely bringing the chaos. Just killing it. <laughs> And meanwhile, um, Lothos plays a really cool ass violin. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, that's later. That's right. Because um. there, his, his his fight with Buffy's coming. Um, but then you know the Aussie song gives way to the next song on our soundtrack, which is "Light Comes Out of Black" by Pantera with Rob Halford. Let's let's do it. This this song this is what mud sounds like. Yeah, this was. Oh, I joke about gendering music, but right. obviously, like I listen to. But this is like this is music for boys. But yeah, like this is this is my time to shine for a moment. Please. So well, yeah, like this song, like I like I said, Pantera is on the charts with vulgar display of power right now. They're like big. It's also the exact moment when Rob Halford leaves Judas Priest. And he's trying to figure out where he's going to go, you know, solo. And he winds up doing a song with Pantera on the Buffy soundtrack. Of uh, Rob Halford. Mm-hmm. But this was just like, it sounded like the most generic metal song. Like if you had to write a song for a radio in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Like a fake song so you don't have to pay copyright. This would be it. This was the Jamie Jorm Jump of <laughs> metal songs. It is. And it and it bums me out too because I I know we've covered a lot of these metal songs before and it always strikes me that like all of these metal bands that I love they sh- keep showing up on these albums and putting out just like the worst crappiest like b-side to to contribute to these albums and it's like this is not representative of these bands at all and like take your word for it i know it's not representative of judas priest oh no totally no but like even for pantera this is like i know they can do better than this the music that plays like in the worst carny booth at the fair the county fair not even the state fair like but like there's You're no like, there's no groove to it. There's like there's no bounce to it. Like a lot of their better songs have this weird kind of like super heavy metal ZZ top kind of vibe to it. And this just ain't it at all. And I I just hate it. It <laughs> just I, sounds like and, the inside of a guitar center on a Saturday at about 830. You are not wrong. Just, 
just like just a bunch of dads just shredding for mm-hmm. everything they've got. Yeah. Like, I hate that, like, the songs that I, the, the Pantera song I have to talk about is, like, this shit. Because there's, you know, I know, I don't know, I keep saying, I'll say it again. Like, I know they can do better. And I don't know why, you know, these albums just attract this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, like, you know, with, uh, like, Megadeth. Like, I know there are three or four albums that they've contributed, like, you know, soundtrack songs to. And they're all just garbage. <laughs> Like we did it with with, um, Super Mario Brothers, like that song Breakpoint, trash. I wish it weren't, but it is. Uh, I had to, speaking of Super Mario Brothers again, I had to explain uh, Cantaloupe Flip Fantasia to somebody the other day. Yeah, oh man. Someone was like, it was, uh, my friend was playing Herbie Hancock's Cantaloupe. Yeah. And um, he's like, yeah, and it was used in some song in the trash 90s. I'm like, actually. Ah. and pulled out like my extensive knowledge of the Super Mario Brothers movie. And impressed them. No, they were just like, <laughs> get out of my car. Like you you what? <laughs> <laughs> so where where were we? Uh Pantera Songs Vampire Fight. Vampire Fight, Pantera Songs playing, Benny attacks Pike. Um and David Arquette is a terrible actor. I just want to point that out. He's terrible in this scene. Oh yeah, he sucks. He's just like trying to say catchphrases that aren't aren't catching on like somebody who's trying to get on Saturday Night Live and just failing miserably. Yeah. Oh, this this man will definitely succeed as a re- professional wrestler. Anyway. Uh, Lothos kills Amelin at this point, which is a surprising turn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't nearly kill him. <laughs> Go on. Because he just will not stop dying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he... he... Amelin just <laughs> chews it up. Probably my favorite laugh in the entire movie. Oh, it's great. It's an iconic scene. It's amazing. Paul Rubens died. A lot of people brought this scene. Yeah. It's so good that like after the credits, they they add more. (laughs) They they bring it back and they keep going. But uh, now Buffy has to fight Lothos in front of the entire senior prom. Benny is thankfully electrocuted. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he says, look at me to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And he sounds exactly like when Seth Meyers does his Trump impersonation. <laughs> um, but she burns him with hairspray. Yeah, she puts a, a cross in his face like that's going to stop him. And he grabs it. He grabs it and it sets the cross on fire. So she pulls out hairspray and burns his face off. Which is amazing. It's just like she uses the powers that are available to her. She uses her traditional and her contemporary powers. Uh, yeah, she as it were, she fights like a girl. Um, Lothos returns now with a sword. Um, she sprayed hairspray on him, but it did not kill him. No. Um, and he uh, says she is his destiny. And I got thinking, Crispin Glover would have also been a good choice. Ooh, that yeah. No, no, huh. you know, no disrespect to Rucker Hauer, but it's just like, yeah, Crispin Glover would have done well in this. That he's got the right kind of like weirdo energy that this movie kind of uh, needs. Yeah, he could carry it. Um, but alas, Lothos is defeated. Yes. And Pike and Buffy share a last dance. Mm-hmm. And then they ride off into the sunrise on a motorcycle as we hear the song that takes us into the end credits. 
Susanna Hoff's cover of Oingo Boingo's We Close Our Eyes. Let's go to a clip. Every time I think we're done with Oingo Boingo, I am made a fool. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good song. I like the voice because it's got like this very gentle, sort of lonesome, drifting vocal take. It actually sound, like made me think of Dusty Springfield. But this particular song, I feel like nobody can do Oingo Boingo except for Oingo Boingo. Mm -hmm. Because there's moments where it sounds like she's struggling to try and cram in all those lyrics. I, I can hear where, that, yeah. Yeah, where Danny Elfman just does it more naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes it drag a little bit. Which yeah. I, I feel bad saying because I actually like this cover a lot. I think her voice is suited for it. I just don't know if this is quite the take they should have used, I guess. Mm. Well, you're right. Like he's, he's a very particular like songwriter. And he basically writes for himself. <laughs> So mm -hmm. I understand it, but I, I guess you're, you're the Oingo Boingo expert here, not me. So uh, I, I'll trust you on this. Yeah. And I think part of it is because he tends to just like move each word into the next and she's letting them break. That makes sense. Yeah. He's a much yeah. more sort of operatic style than she does. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, her sounds more staccato. It sounds more broken up and it feels like she has to rush a little bit. Right. To get it all in there. Now it's most noticeable in the first verse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now here's where I have I'm gonna bring up a new segment I'm inventing called Missed Connections. Where I'm gonna make a make a, an assumption that's probably not true, but it sounds like it might be. So this song is called We Close Our Eyes, and one of the lyrics is, you know, close your eyes and dream, right? The band that I've mentioned a couple times in this show, a band called Nerf Herder has a song called Close Your Eyes and Dream, but I don't think it has anything to do with this song in particular. However, Nerf Herder did do the theme song to the Buffy TV series. So now I'm wondering... And I wouldn't put it past them. They're named Nerf Herder, so... Right. They, they are one of the nerdiest bands in the universe, so they probably did do it on purpose, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. It might be. I'm going to say it, it most likely is. Um, but that also brings up, speaking of dreams, the song we couldn't find. Yes, because there's one other song that we couldn't find in the film, and I actually couldn't find it on the internet. It's a song called Man Smart, Woman Smarter by the, the, the hip-hop duo Dream Warriors. Yes. And <laughs> just does not exist on YouTube or Apple Music for that matter. And again, uh, when we talk about having every genre on here they're a hip-hop duo from ontario yeah yeah and of course so at part Sorry. of the jazz rap movement which uh -huh. um we've talked about uh back on encino man right yeah and of course it's impossible to google this band because they're called dream warriors and when you google dream warriors you get nightmare on elm street part three hmm and so either there's just nothing about this band out there or I don't know. 
Yeah. So if you know anything about Dream Warriors or can find this song, let us know. The only thing I can tell you is that Man Smart, Woman Smarter is a Harry Belafonte song. But how that relates to their hip-hop version, I do not know. As I am... If you go to Wikipedia, there's not a link from it the way we see with Party with the Animals. I fought the law and I ain't going to eat out my heart anymore. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so if if you uh, know of the song or can point us to a version of it, please uh, email that to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear it. Thank you. Uh, and then going into the end credits. We get, like we said, uh, we close our eyes. And also, I ain't going to eat out my heart anymore. And these songs play over, like, TV news footage of the massacre at the dance. Mm-hmm. Where they're interviewing, like, the, the students and the survivors and stuff. And one kid says, they had this look in their eyes. I think they were young Republicans. Yes, I wrote that <laughs> down, too. Um, and stuff. that's uh, Liz Smith mm-hmm. as the uh, news reporter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh the gossip the very famed gossip columnist, the grand dame of Dish. Uh-huh. Which I use a nice a nice little touch. And then of course we get that um mid credits scene of um of him still dying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, everybody. It, yes. It's okay. <laughs> it's worth it definitely if it was something that you enjoyed uh in the nineties, it holds up. Like it, you're not going to cringe your way through it. It's it's a it's, good time capsule. I'll say that. Yeah, it's a solid little girl adventure film. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with it. The fact that it spawned like one of the most popular TV series of the '90s is kind of baffling, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's fun for what it is, and yeah, I, I exactly it's a good sleepover film. Yeah, yeah, it's something fun yeah. to watch on Halloween if you're if you're tired of actual horror movies. It's good fun. Show it to the kids. Yeah, show it to the kids. Yeah, it's because it's um, it's not gory. It's not there's no sex. It's great. Yeah, it's not particularly family friendly. Yeah, it's not particularly problematic. Not at all. <laughs> so yeah, give it a give it a. Actually, watch. I was like expecting it to be a, like more so. I was like, oh okay. Yeah. Actually, this holds up. Right. So there you go. Fine. We did it. Fine by us. Yes. Uh, so Libby, what's next for the OST party? We are going to talk about FM. Ooh. I know. It's the movie that no one remembers, but everyone has the soundtrack to. I don't think we've ever done a movie from the 70s on this show. Uh, we have. I'm sure we have. We probably have. So I'm excited for the, for, for this because uh, I've had the FM soundtrack in my collection for a long time. <laughs> Me too. So. Oh, man. It'll uh, be fun. Yeah, it'll be a good time. So come on back for that. Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Libby Cudmore. You can also find me over on Blue Sky, uh, same handle. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. And we finished up the Misbehaving podcast for now. Uh, tune in for season four when that's announced. But if you haven't listened to our season three episodes, go back and do that. Yeah. Joe, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Blue Sky and Twitter and Instagram, all those fun places at Cordial Wombat. Uh, and also you can hear me yell about Christmas movies all year round at Christmas creeps. That's the name of my podcast. That's our internet handle. Uh, we just did an episode on Scrooge, which we've covered here on the show. But, uh, you know, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Scrooge, go check that out. And anything else you'd like to tell us or, or, uh, 
follow us for go to ost party on twitter or blue sky email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com and you know do what you do with the podcast you leave a star rating and a review tell us how we're doing we would really appreciate it tell a friend yeah and tell a vampire (laughs) please tell your local vampire today if they find out our names then we have to stop doing the show (laughs) we're not slayers we're just just people just as long as we don't invite them in that's fair yeah uh so yeah that's the ost party folks i've been joseph wade i'm libby cudmore buy the ticket take the ride (laughs) 